We're going to take a pause from 2 Timothy for the next couple of weeks. And after spring break, we're going to come back and pick up that book that we've been studying and we'll finish it. Um, Listen, I know you're going to be able to hear the kids today. Um, Us as parents will not hear them because we are professionals at tuning them out. For those of you who do not have young kids, you may need to work a little harder. But we're going to have a shortened message today. If you would, we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 2. This morning, I want to take the next few minutes to look deeper into the topic that we briefly talked about last week. We looked at the inspiration of Scripture, the fact that um, the Bible are God's words that are actually breathed out by Him that these are his words. And, and I want to push pause on that for a second because whenever we start talking about the inspiration of Scripture and God's Word being breathed out and how we should be people of the Word, instantly there are a couple of different places that we go. For one group of people, they are jazzed up and psyched out of their minds. They are pulling out their colored pencils and they are getting their journals out and they are like ready for inductive Bible study, baby. Let's let's do it. 6 a.m., 5.30, when you want. And then there's another group of people who are just like, just tuned out, turn it off. Spiritual disciplines were a lot more disciplined and not very spiritual for me. And so I've kind of moved on from that. And we'll just see how else God speaks to me in the Christian life. I think no matter which camp you fall in, one of the things that I've noticed whenever we talk about the spiritual disciplines is we tend to ponder more on the mechanics of it all. And to kind of miss out on the whole purpose of what the disciplines are for, which is that our hearts would actually grow in affection for Jesus. And so, like, there is a goal in mind that as we spend time with God and hear from His Word, that we actually love Him more. And what's crazy is that it's so easy to miss out on that. It's so easy to check all the right boxes and do all the right things and for our hearts to actually be uh, weakened or even become more despairing and to not see that we are falling more and more in love with Jesus every day. So here's what I want to do. I want to hear from you this morning And I want your top of the head response. We're going to talk more about our emotions and our love for Jesus more than the mechanics of it all. So guys, I know you're psyched. Okay, we're talking about our emotions and our feelings this morning. Um, But top of the head response, I want to hear from you. When were you passionately in love with Jesus? Was it at youth camp? Was it when you were baptized? Was it on a mission trip? When were you passionately in love with Jesus? With Jesus, shout out your answer. Say it again. Day of baptism. Absolutely. The day you were baptized. Somebody else. What's that? Mission trip in Guatemala. I'm deaf, by the way, folks. When you're going through a lot of tough stuff in life. Somebody else, when were you passionately in love with Jesus? And quit thinking about what does it mean to be passionately in love with Jesus. Just top of the head response. When were you passionately in love with Jesus? When you're in theological seminary. When you're studied. Going to youth camp. 
Freshman year of college. All right, now, I want you to take that a step further, and I want you to think about that time, and, and other people can answer as well. What were your spiritual rhythms like during that phase in your life? Like, what was going on in the spiritual rhythms of your life? A lot of prayer. Hunger for the word. Being in community with other people who are passionate about Jesus. A bunch of freshmen at the University of Memphis, Caitlin, who are all part of the BCM, who are all going on mission trips and crazy in love with Jesus. Yeah. Anybody else? If I think back personally in my life, the time that I was passionately in love with Jesus, I go back to 1996 at 10th and Algonquin in Louisville, Kentucky. I lived in the inner city in a Baptist church building. I lived in a Sunday school class. Think cinder block walls with the old ratty mattress. The church had a fence around it with razor wire that we locked the gates every night. And I was there with uh, two other guys, and then there were four gals that were over in the other wing. We were summer missionaries, and we did exciting stuff all summer, like painting the church sign, cleaning out the gutters. We went to a pregnancy crisis center and sorted diapers, and it was one of the most amazing summers of my life. Because what we did throughout the summer was I was in a community of people who were passionately pursuing Jesus and we would get up early and do push-ups together. The guys would, would read the Bible together. There was a student from Southern Seminary who came and uh, became friends with us and challenged us to spend every night closing our day praying together. So we met in the church fellowship hall around an eight-foot table and every night at 8 p.m. and prayed together. Talked about our day and prayed. He challenged us to, to fast, and so uh, we would take a little bit of time during the week and fast. He challenged us, take an hour and see if you can pray for an hour. We had a folding chair that sat outside a window of the education space. We would sneak out onto the rooftop of the education space, overlook the projects that were next door to us and pray. I can remember distinctly the first time I tried to pray for an hour. I prayed for 10 minutes and it was all I needed to pray for. And I prayed for those same things five more times. I can remember Will, my friend from Texas A&M, diving through that window one day as a drive-by took place at the gas station next door. And it was the best summer of my life. Now keep that that we've kind of staged for you about our affections and our heart and our passions in mind. And I want to read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The context, the background is that John of Peter, James and John um, has been imprisoned on the island of Patmos and Jesus sends him a vision or a revelation um, and his instructions are to resist the devil and his threats against the church. And Satan's threats would be seen as a beast um, of violence. Sometimes his threats are through heresy and false teaching. Other times his threats would come to the church through affluence that the church would become so affluent that they would become so far away from the world. Sometimes that we would become complacent. And chapter 2 is written 
to the church at Ephesus. We looked at this briefly last week and I haven't been able to shake this passage. Look at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is clearly Jesus if you read through chapter 1. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I read this passage of Scripture last week and I haven't been able to shake it all week long because as I read this passage, I think this passage could so easily describe Mercy Hill Church. I think this passage of Scripture could so easily describe Brad Dunlap's life. There's a lot of amazing, fateful, courageous things that this church in Ephesus is doing. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in hard work and sacrifice and great mission projects and caring for the needy and defending the faith and even studying the Word of God in coffee groups and missional communities and on Sunday morning, like we're committed to exegete the Scriptures verse by verse through a book. And it's so easy to fall into a pattern of being obedient much like the older brother was in the story of the prodigal son, all the while our affections for Jesus can become weakened and even dwindle. I'm concerned about our affections, our love, our passion for Jesus, because one of the problems throughout all of humanity and throughout all of time is our tendency toward mediocrity. There's a tendency that we have in our lives. It's not just in the Christian life, but it's everywhere. We have a tendency toward just managing things, toward mediocrity. You see it in your marriage relationship. It's why you need to work so hard to date your spouse and to, to spend time with one another and, and, and to, to plan because mediocrity sets in and it's so easy to just get into a rut. Have you ever noticed there are times where you'll see a spouse leave another spouse and you'll go, he left her for her or she left him for him? And you're going, how did they leave their spouse for this ugly individual? And what took place is that it's not about looks. It's about the fact that they made a deeper connection with someone else because they just began to manage their relationship. It becomes so easy just to become content. The same is true with our kids. Like we'll invest a lot of time and effort early on. I mean, we'll read them Bible story. We'll change their diapers. We'll do everything for them. We'll research top of the line, you know, car seats. Like we're gonna, but as they get older, they start to get into teenage years. We're just kind of like, we just so easy to just become content. Just so easy to just kind of manage them. Well, man, I've got, I got them potty trained. Like I'm sending them to a good school, you know. 
let me just find a good church where a youth group will disciple them. And during the years where we should be doubling down with our kids, we're just content to manage them. Like the same is true with our jobs. How often do do we just settle into a career where we're content not to really risk anything and not not to really go for it, but just to manage things? I'm fearful that within the Christian life, for many of us, we'll be courageous and we'll have steps of faith in our life that are clear, but we'll take just enough to get us to a point where we're satisfied and we'll just begin to manage our Christian life. You know you're managing your Christian life when you start to tell stories of God's faithfulness and they're all about the past. They're not in the present. When you think about your life with Christ and you look back rather than looking forward, What's the vision you have? What's the passion you have for how God is on the move both today and in the future? The truth is that most of us really just desire to be comfortable over everything else. Some level of risk. We can look back. We can see some stories of faith. But the natural bend of our heart is to reach a point where we are content And then we just kind of begin to manage things on our own. Here's the problem with that. The problem is that if we aren't careful, the natural drift of the Christian life is toward love of the world. Let me ask you a question. Here's a question I want you to consider today. Are you passionately in love with Jesus? Are you passionately in love with Jesus? Are you relentlessly pursuing Him? Are you relentlessly pursuing Him? Because here's the thing I know to be true of the Christian heart. If you're not, it means that you are passionately pursuing the world because your heart was created to pursue. Your heart was created to be passionate And if you aren't passionately and relentlessly pursuing Jesus, then I can guarantee that you are passionately pursuing your job or your house or a future house or your spouse that you've made to be an idol or even your family. Good things in our life become the greatest thing when we fail to passionately pursue Jesus. Jesus gives John a message. He says, repent. Turn back. Do the things that you did before to give Jesus love, time, attention, passion, devotion. In my own story and in others, I've found that there is a deep connection between genuine affection for Jesus and the practice of spiritual disciplines or what I'd like to call habits of grace. See, it's not that these habits of grace, of spending time in God's Word and in prayer, of meditating or fasting, it's not that they produce within us like, God, we're going to satisfy you by checking the box. We're going to earn your favor. That's legalism. No, it's more out of a desperate heart in which we say, God, I know the need I have for you. I know the shame of my heart. I know the wickedness of my heart. I know the depths and darkness of my heart. Oh, how I need you. 
Oh, how I need you through prayer. Oh, how I need your word. Oh, how I need your direction. I'm foolish. My ways are folly. God, I need your wisdom. It's when we come to God and when we place ourselves on that path that we are more open to receive his grace. The thing I know to be true is this. I've never met anyone who was radically in love with Jesus, who was relentlessly pursuing him over a period of time who didn't spend time in the word. I've never met anyone who was radically in love with Jesus, who relentlessly pursued him, who wasn't a person of prayer. I've never met anyone who over the course of their life was obedient to Jesus and loved Him above all else who wasn't committed to His body and His fellowship because they realized just how much they needed His community. Paul tells us in several different passages that the work that Jesus calls us to is hard work. He says in 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself for godliness. That word train in the Greek is the word gymnase. You hear where we get gymnasium from. Gymnase. Paul is essentially saying, get your spiritual rear end in the gym. He's saying it's going to be hard work. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for, but work out your salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul writes and he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I love That passage sums up the spiritual discipline so well. We're called to work hard and it's God's grace within our hearts that enables us to come to His Word. You realize that when you rise early in the morning and open His Word, when you carve out time to spend in prayer with Him, do you realize it's God's grace that even enables you to do that? That it's God's grace that even turns your heart toward Him? It's not your discipline it's not the fact that you set the alarm earlier or you put out your Bible and coffee the night before. No, those may be good tactics and good mechanics, but it's God's grace that He's even awakened your heart to know your need for Him. All the work that we do is by His grace and through His grace. I want to challenge us as a community that we would be a people who are committed on a daily basis to hear His voice through His Word, to have His ear through prayer, and to belong to His body through fellowship. We've talked about this before. And uh, I was talking with Katie this week, and she said, you talk about spending time with the Lord all the time. You think one more message is going to change anything? And I thought to myself, no, I don't think another message is going to change anything. I think the Spirit of God must provoke our hearts and bring us to a point that we are so distressed that we see our need for Him. The only way that's going to happen is when we see our great love for the world and that our, the world does not satisfy. The older I get, the more despair I experience because I see that my trip to the beach on June 3rd through the 10th is not going to satisfy. The older I get, the more I see that Friday nights do not satisfy. 
that Jesus is the one who satisfies. What would it be like if as a community, this group of people said, we're going to hear His voice daily through His Word. That we're going to believe that when we open the Bible, we're going to believe that we don't have to go searching for nuggets of truth, but that these are actually Jesus' words. And that we're going to read them as if He is speaking. And as the pattern of history has been for the Christian church, we will commit to the fact that God speaks and we will obey. You're going to hear that phrase over and over again at Mercy Hill Church because that's been the pattern of church history, that God speaks and that we obey. Would we commit on a daily basis to hear His voice? And let me challenge you that you would commit to really bring the longings of your heart before Jesus and to lay them before Him. Because the psalmist would attest to the fact that he can handle it. He can handle it. When you read the book of Isaiah, when you see the way in which the prophets spoke to the Lord, they would say things like, God, won't you rend the heavens and come down? They were, yes, they were asking, but there was anger in their voice. There was distress within their voice because they were saying, God, we are a lonely people. We are a distressed people. We are people who are greatly in need of you. They were passionate. They were relentless in the way they pursued Him. Would we be a people that when we open the Word of God, that we would be relentless, that as He speaks to us, that we would say, what God has told me to do is more important than what my boss will tell me to do today because I actually work for God. That we would be committed to hear His voice. That we would have His ear through prayer. I want to challenge you. The Bible talks about a prayer closet that you would pick a spot within your home. Maybe it's your car. And that you would commit to a certain amount of time that you would say, I am going to humble myself before the Lord on a daily basis. That you would get serious. You say, Brad, you're getting back into the mechanics of it all. You're sounding so legalistic. Listen, we need the discipline. I showed up at the gym on Tuesday and Matt said, we're going to do 36 pull-ups. And I said, are you kidding? Like, I would probably not have gone had I known. But you know what? It was a good thing. And the same is true in our lives that we need discipline. I want to challenge you that you would commit a particular amount of time. It may be five minutes a day. That's great. Pray for five minutes a day. Humble yourself for five minutes a day. Maybe you would pray through the acts, acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, acts, that you would adore Jesus, that you would thank him, that you would begin to praise him for who he is. Praise God for what he's done, that you would adore him, that you would lower yourself and confess your sin before him. Most of us have no idea how to confess sin. So many of us think that confession was only something that took place as we came to know Jesus. And confession is to be all of the Christian life. That you would thank God. That you would commit on a daily basis to say, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to lay my heart bare before you. And all of these expectations that I have of how you haven't worked, I'm just going to be grateful for who you are and what you've done. And then, and only then would you begin to say, God, here's my supplication. Here's what I would petition you for. 
that we would have God's ear, and finally, that we would belong to His fellowship. Here's, here's what I want you to consider as we close today. What would it look like if there was a radical group of Jesus followers who said, we're going to pursue Jesus relentlessly? Like, what would that really look like? I want you to consider that. Because we only have one life to live. What would it look like if we said, we're not going to be content to manage our lives and to manage our spiritual life, but we're going to commit to be to relentlessly pursue Jesus on a daily basis. I think we can't do it alone. I think it would have to be in community. I think it would involve prayer. I think it would probably mean saying no to some things so that we could say yes to Jesus more. I've had the, the idea, this kind of crazy idea, but what would it be like if there were a group of people who said, we're going to pray together. We're going to commit to relentlessly pursue Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to get up at 6 a.m. We're going to meet together. And one day a week, we're going to pray together. We're going to take an hour, 6 to 7. Come late, need to come late, leave early, need to leave early. But we're going to say, we're going to join our hearts together, which would probably mean that somebody's going to have to give up one of the Chicago shows, okay? You're probably going to have to give up either Chicago Fire, PD, Med, or now they've added another one. Like, we probably have to give up watching some TV, you know? Probably have to give up, you know, some quality aspects of our life, like the waking dead or the walking dead or whatever they're called. You know, we'd have to leave the zombies behind. What would it be like if we said, we're going to join together with a community of people and we're going to commit to pray that God would awaken our hearts and set us ablaze for Him? It's called revival. It has nothing to do with tents or evangelists. It has everything to do when the Holy Spirit makes His manifest presence known, not just in an individual's life, but within a church or a neighborhood or a community or a city. And His joy and His peace and distress fall upon them because there is distress because they begin to see that their lives really matter. And they look not at the next TV show, but they look at eternity and they see that eternity matters. Listen, if you're interested in saying, I want to relentlessly pursue Jesus, I want to invite you, email me, brad at mercyhillmemphis.org. Just put prayer in the subject line. Whoever emails, I don't know where. We're kind of limited on space. It might, I don't know where we'll meet, but we'll find a place to meet. And I want to challenge it that we would begin to pray. That we would begin to humble our hearts. That we would say, God, would you bring revival, but not to them. Would you begin with me? That I would relentlessly pursue you in order that spiritual awakening might come to our neighbors, might come to our neighborhoods, might come to our city. One thing I know is that there are no great stories that are born from managing things. You don't pay good money to go see movies in which characters manage things. See, all great stories begin with a character who's in a place in their life where there's some low-level angst that's taking place. And something takes place where that character is forced to either step into a new reality, a new journey that opens up to them that will cause them to step out in faith with great courage, or they can go back to managing 
their ordinary pedestrian lives. Imagine if Frodo Baggins would have looked at Gandalf and said, Gandalf, we're really, we're, me and Miss Baggins, we're in a great school district. We're just going to raise the little Baggins kids and we're just going to stay here. And that whole Middle Earth thing and saving the world, that just sounds overrated. Imagine if Peter Parker had said, I'm just content to stay in my room and shoot spiderwebs around. I'm good. No, superheroes come from the fact that they say there is a new reality that's open to me and I'm going to step through it. Jesus was a superhero and He stepped through the reality of moving from heaven to earth. I want to challenge us that we would say, I am done managing my life. I am going to pursue Jesus relentlessly. Let's pray together. Father, You have been so very good to us. Jesus, we pray that You would remind us of Your goodness, that as we spend time with You, that our hearts would grow in affection for You. Jesus, we pray that You would show us our need for You. Jesus, we pray that we would humble ourselves. We pray that we would repent from the heights of which we have fallen, the heights of freshman year in college, the heights of 1996, the heights of when we were struggling, and that we would return to You. Jesus, I pray that our regular schedules would be invaded by heaven. Jesus, I pray that it would be on, that it would be in Memphis as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.